Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. For my second segment, I'll be talking with Kara Courtois, formerly of Barnard College Admissions and veteran of College Coach. She and I will discuss when do you know if you're ready to submit your application. I know a lot of seniors are in this exact position right now. Um, So listen in for that. And for my third segment, I'll be talking with Jen Simmons, a college coach newcomer who came to us from Northeastern University. She's a newcomer to us, but she has tons of experience. Uh, Previously, she worked at Tufts, Barnard, and Connecticut College. So really excited to have her on our team and have her on the show today. And she and I will be discussing when to disclose a learning disability or a health issue on a college admission application. Um, But first, I'll be talking with Jean Mahan college finance consultant here at College Coach, who formerly worked at Tufts and at a Boston area community college. She is here to answer questions about how to keep track of student loans while you're in college. Uh, Yes, that's right. While you are in college, you should also be keeping track of this. Don't just think about it when you graduate. And uh, I know this is relevant for a lot of us. A lot of us have taken out loans. I definitely did, although luckily they are paid off now. Um, so this is an important segment, so definitely listen in. Welcome, Jean. Hi, Sally. Great to be here today. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, sure. So we read a lot about the amount of loans that students borrow to finance educational costs. I imagine it must be pretty challenging to sit down and figure out how much you've actually borrowed with interest, where all the loans live. Actually, I know that's challenging based on my own experience. Um, <laughs> is, there, <laughs> is there a way that students can keep track while they're still in school, or is it just a big surprise at graduation? Oh, great question, Sally. Um, yeah, it's really important to be taking care of business right from the get-go. So as soon as you, you start borrowing, maybe set up a spreadsheet or something. But a great place to find out where your federal student loans are, and most students have at least the federal loans, is to go to the National Student Loan Data System. And I'm going to give that web address. It's www.nslds.ed.gov. And that's going to provide a complete history of all that borrower's federal loans. Students, student loans are going to be recorded under the parents, I'm, I'm sorry, under the student's name, but parent plus loans are going to be found under the parent borrower's name. So that's really important. I think a lot of parents sometimes go in under the student's name expecting to find that information and surprise when they don't. And when you go into the system, you can find the name, the address, and the contact information of the loan servicer. And that's all really important information to have. It also gives you um, the dates when you borrowed those loans, what type of loans they are, whether they're a subsidized direct loan, unsubsidized, a health profession student loan, a nursing loan, whatever they might be. Um, And it gives you the current uh, amount plus interest. Another place to find uh, your student federal student loans, and this is a site that I really like, is studentloans.gov. 
And the bar uses their FSA, the Federal Student Aid ID, that same ID that they use to um, fill out a FAFSA. And they can see how much, they can see all of their federal loans and how much interest is accrued. But the really cool thing on that side is, is that there's a calculator that you can use to determine what your monthly payments will be under a uh, several different loan repayment options. So it's a really cool site and really helps um, students to kind of keep keep a handle on what how much interest is occurring and what their monthly payments will look like based on their borrowing to date. Okay, great. Yeah, I can think of some people, actually, while you were talking, I was underlining things, and I, I know some people I'm going to give this information to. So, <laughs> <laughs> But what about, I mean, you know, these days, since I'm done with my student loans, I usually just go to my credit report. So is this information, can you go to the credit reports for this kind of information? Uh-huh. Yep, that's another good place to find this information. And not only will you see your federal loans there, but anyone who's borrowed private education loans, that's where you're going to find information about who's currently servicing those loans. So sometimes, um, you know, if you haven't been keeping track of this from the get-go, you might find that, oh, you've misplaced that promissory note or some of the initial um, information that you filled out. So the credit report is a good place to find that information. And borrowers can request a report from each of the three three major credit reporting agencies once a year. So I would suggest that students and bar and, and graduates consider requ- requesting uh, a credit report from one of the three major agencies once a year. So split it up. So do it over the, you know, every quarter, do it from a different one, Experian or Equifax or whatever, so that you are looking at all of them to see if there's, um, you know, any conflicting information. Not all creditors report to the same credit reporting agency, so it's a good idea to just be um, pulling from all three. And it's just a good practice to get into as you're managing your finances. Um, the other thing that's really important is to set up accounts with your loan servicer. That way the borrower can see their up-to-date account balances and they can get messages or alerts from their servicer. Uh, there might be a new repayment option or maybe they need to talk to them about something. But it's really, really important that the servicer have all the borrower's current contact information. That includes both your snail mail address and your email address as well as a current phone number where you can be reached. Um, I think that sometimes when a suit, when a borrower hasn't kept this information up to date, the servicer loses track of them and then can't communicate with them, which could lead to, you know, down the road to missed payments, uh, delinquency, and hopefully not, but sometimes default. Mm-hmm. Right, which would be not good at all. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so, so now people know where to find your loans. How do you recommend that students monitor those loans? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, whatever tracking system works well, everyone has their own little system, but I think probably the easiest way is just to set up a spreadsheet to track your loans. And as you're borrowing them, just put down, you know, uh, borrowed in September of 2018, I borrowed a total of $5,500. This is my loan servicer. Um, this is the interest rate. And this is when my repayment is supposed to begin. Anytime a borrower has questions about this when they're still in school, a trip to the financial aid office at your school can get all the answers that you'll need to these questions, and they want to help you because um, your ability to remain in repayment can have a, a big effect on their statistics, you know, as far as how many how many of their borrowers are continuing to pay or gone into default. So if you're not sure, you know, go over there and make an appointment or just drop in, and they can help you sort of get all that information so that you can um, 
you know, get your sheet spread up, set your sp- spreadsheet set up. Um, you also want to make sure that you know when your repayment begins. Um, loans, as I mentioned, there's different kinds of loans, and they all have different re- restart um, repayment dates. So some might start six months after graduation. Some might start nine or 12 months after graduation. So you're going to want to make sure that you know about that. It's allowing you to reconcile information that's been reported on the National Student Loan Data data System or any um, information that you're getting from the servicer. If you see any discrepancies in your paperwork and what's reported, then you definitely want to contact your servicer. And if you're not getting anywhere, enlist the assistance of your of your financial aid office to um, see if they can help you get to the bottom of it. Um, I had a call a couple of weeks ago from my niece. She's a senior in college, and she was in a panic because she had just, for the first time, really spent a few minutes looking over her disclosure statements. Of course, those sent to her every year, but now that she's a senior, she decided that it might be a good idea for her to look at those. And um, she was a little surprised by what she saw. So, yeah, they're boring, and, you know, maybe it's not the most exciting read you're going to have this week, but it's providing you with necessary information. Hang on to those. Make a file. Put them away. Um, you know, but again, reconciling the information on your spreadsheet is going to be helpful, so... Mm-hmm. I just want to second using the financial aid office as a resource. I think people can be sort of afraid of them or view them as like hostile entities sometimes even. I mean, I've, I've literally had to tell people like, no, like try and ally with them. They will do what they right. can. They're, they're not actually enjoying saying no to you. Like that's not like you may <laughs> think that. But they are not enjoying it. And once I, you know, once I was in college, I found that they were this invaluable resource. I mean, I would stop in uh-huh. regularly and say, I have a question about this. And like, especially because I was at a small college, they even knew who I was. Like they knew me by yeah. face and they'd be like, oh, yeah, your loan came in or, oh, yeah, we need you to sign this or, oh, here's this information that you're looking for. So I really recommend that students get over whatever sense of intimidation they might have, and, and really the financial aid office can be an ally. I totally agree with you. I loved seeing students come into the office just to do things like, you know, can you tell me where I'm at right now with my borrowing, and what what do you think my monthly payments will look like? Or I'm a little nervous about how much I borrowed. How am I going to repay this? We could have some really great conversations, so I enjoyed very much seeing students come in and, and asking about, you know, the status of their loans and how they could best repay them. Um, so I think that there are certain times of the year where a financial aid office is just crazy. It's just so busy. And that's usually like the first four to six weeks of a semester. So unless your house is on fire, you know, and you need this answer yesterday, then if it's just sort of something that can wait a few weeks, try not to go in to ask, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill questions when it's really, really busy. Um, but after that, I think it's pretty, you know, it's, it's actually make an appointment. At the financial aid offices that I worked at, we had, like, drop-in hours from noon to one. So we knew that a lot of students were had lunch breaks then. So we had, you know, that was just sort of a time when our staff didn't take lunch. We were there so that they could come in and talk to us and, you know, check on the status of anything that they had kind of open-ended. So, yeah, totally, they do want to help you. Um, they they want to they want to make this process a little easier for you. So don't be intimidated by them and, you know, and do make friends with them. It's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, good. All right. So just hearkening back again to my own college experience, I received a refund mm-hmm. once when I was in college um, from my loan. Can the funds be returned to the lender? Oh, yes, they can. <laughs> and 
I recommend that students do that um, because if you're getting a refund, it's coming from loans that may be accruing interest at 5 6 7 or 8%, depending on what the rate is on the particular loan you've borrowed. And I'm pretty certain that if you put it into your savings account, you're probably not making more than one percentage point on it if you, if you are even making that. So return those funds. If for some reason, several months later or in the next semester, you find that you need those, you can get the money back, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have that money sitting around accruing interest and you're not needing it. I often had students say to me, well, I'm just going to borrow the full amount here in case I need it. You know, what if something happens? And I said, if something happens, come back and see me. We can get those funds released again, but it doesn't make sense for you to be accruing interest. So when you return those funds, and if you return them within 120 days of the disbursement date, um, they won't, they'll, the servicer will cancel the interest and fees that have accrued on that amount. So that's really going to help you long term. Um, so definitely, I definitely recommend, you know, just borrowing what you need and um, returning anything that you don't. Mm-hmm. Okay, sage advice. This money is not free, everybody. <laughs> it's so. not at all. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. All right. So thanks so much, Jean. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Okay. All right, everybody. We're going to take a short break. But when we get back, Kara Courtois and I will be discussing how you know when you're ready to submit your application. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, now we'll be speaking with Kara Courtois about how you know when you're ready to submit your application. Hi, Kara. How are you today? I'm great, Sally. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. 
So, um, so I find that with a lot of students, the submitting the first application is enormously stressful for them, just really, really nerve wracking. Um, so what are the steps that you suggest that students take to make sure that they're ready to submit? Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you're totally right. I think once the first one goes out, the stress just absolutely dials down to a very normal level. Um, so that is something to look forward to and maybe wanted to plant that seed as encouragement that, you know, the, the when a student is ready to submit, they do not have to wait till the deadline. I would say first and foremost, and probably the most important piece of advice is just to make sure that that more than one set of eyes, meaning not just the student's eyes, see the application before it goes out. It's just super duper important to show it to most likely an adult, such as the guidance counselor. But if they have too many students or don't have the time to do that, a trusted teacher, a parent certainly, but somebody that at least can can walk through it with you and make sure you know everything is to the best of your ability and, and seems accurate and ready to go. But I think that's probably the most important piece of advice is to not as much as we encourage students to do, you know, to be independent and really try to do so much of this process on their own, it is important to have a second set of eyes at least just to, you know, do a checks and balances with them. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, there's no shame in this. I mean, professional writers still need editors. You know, you can be a New York Times reporter and you still need an editor. So, um, so I just want to kind of follow up on that a little bit. So we're obviously talking about the essay, and I think students know that it's a good idea to have someone else take a look at that. But you're really expressly talking about the rest of the application as well. Are there particular areas that might be especially important, or you know, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, I would say, especially if we're talking about you know a typical application like the Common application, and really, to be honest most applications, whether it's the school's application itself, the coalition, um, or the Common App, all have a section that says, you know, basically, what do you do outside of the classroom? So we call it the activities section. And I probably um, have found upwards of 90% of students where when you question them a little bit about what's on the activities, just to see if maybe they missed something of importance that 90% of the time that they did (laughs) because they're staring at it. You know, it's something that they do all the time and they sort of forget or they don't have a resume in front of them when they're filling out that area. So that's where a parent actually can have a lot of input um, or value, I would say. Maybe not a lot of input, but value in the sense that they might catch something. A lot of students might forget to put their summer job down on an activities um, section of an application, or like I said, that they might have sort of taken it for granted that they play soccer, not just for the high school team, but they also play on a travel team. So they might want to list that as two separate activities, but they've clumped it all together and it might get a little confusing. So Mm -hmm. that's where, you know, one particular area I think is super valuable and that a parent oftentimes, parent guardian, would usually be the most helpful in that section because they do typically know what the student does outside the, the school day. 
Oh, yeah. The parent might have a photographic memory of an award back in kindergarten. Not that we want the kindergarten (laughs) stuff, but I find that parents often remember things that the kids are like, oh, yeah, I won an award back then, you know? So, um, so, yeah, definitely check with the. I forgot that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the other thing that I always tell students to do is on the education section you know there's a section where you fill out you know uh, GPA counselor information stuff like that I'm like just go fill it out with your counselor like even if they're pretty busy hopefully you can go in and sit with them to talk about that area or what I've noticed is that at some high schools they actually send out the information like each student gets essentially an email or something saying, this is how you fill out the education section, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. It is great. I, a perfect example, actually, is I just had a call with a parent the other day who the whole family was pretty panicked because the student um, had submitted an application already, and for the ranking section under that education section, you have a choice of putting do not rank, does not, the school does not rank, or you can input um, what the rank is or the percentile. And the mom had attended a uh, school meeting where they had the guidance counselors talking through the application process and swore that she heard that this school does not rank. So the student put that on the application, didn't run it by the guidance office, submitted, and then found out, soon afterwards that the school actually gets a percentile rank and this student was in the fourth percent, the fourth decile um, at the school and they were all pretty much in a panic thinking that it would look like he lied on the application. So it was a, it's a great example. It's not actually something I think that the student needs to hugely worry about overall because the college admissions counselors will lean on what the guidance counselor says in their um, secondary school report that every student will ha- will be sent by the schools, but that would have been a perfect you know example of just a quick check in on the education section with someone in the guidance office would have clarified that and probably you know diminished some of the anxiety around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked to uh, um, the mother of a senior the other day who was just making sure that what the guidance counselor told her was correct. Her son was ranked, um, I mean, I'll, I'll make it up, but, it, it, you know, because there's no, there, obviously I can't do any direct identifying characteristics, but let's say he was basically like 350 out of 400 or something similar to that. And she was like, so he's in the top 25%, right? I don't understand why the counselor didn't want me to report that. And I was like, the rank starts mm-hmm. from the top. So he's actually in the bottom 25%. And she was like, oh, (laughs) like, you know, so if she hadn't talked to the counselor, she would have reported that, Uh you know, like, and and she just couldn't imagine it because, you know, her son was a solid student. He was B's. He had some A's. He was in an academic curriculum, but, you know, he attended a school with that was like full IB curriculum. So there were students with 5.0 out of 4.0 scale. Uh So. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, do try and talk to the high school counselor. Get the feedback there. So mm-hmm. um, anything else to do? Like, any other way to kind of make sure um, that you've gotten everything done? I mean, I love the most uh, the feature of the printing a PDF version of the application so that, you know, you, you really see what it looks like. There's been occasional times 
over the years with Common App specifically where something would get cut off, um, specifically in that activity section, that it looks like it fits, but then when you do the print preview, you see that some of the words get cut off. So I do encourage students, you know, to do the print preview, and they could even print it out on paper and go through it, you know, with, um, you know, with a, a teacher, counselor, parent, administrator. It might be sometimes an easier way um, when the paper's right in front of them. But that's, that's a really good feature oftentimes to to go through and just make sure that you've gotten, you know, everything correct. I mean, the beauty of the Common App specifically is that, you know, you'll get the green check mark when all the necessary information's in there. So you can't really miss something. So it's more that you're looking for, uh, otherwise it won't let you submit, but it's more that you're looking for, you know, might there be an error, a spelling error potentially, or um, something that wasn't accurately reported. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot these days, and I really think it's because of the advent of testing, texting and messaging apps is just Mm -hmm. students not capitalizing or capitalizing random words that have nothing to do with grammar rules. (laughs) So um, I really find it's easier to spot that kind of thing on uh, when you do a print preview than when they're, you know, you're Mm -hmm. inputting things into those little boxes. Totally agree with that. Yep, everybody looks like E.E. E. Cummings in the writing. Yes. Like, Wait a second. Wait, exactly. you still need to be accurate. Yeah. This is an application for college. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. You're not texting your best friend. You're submitting this totally. to adults who have never met you before. So um, it is funny, you know, like students will slave over the essay with me and then they'll forget to capitalize I. You know, I'm like, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. So. yeah. Very common. Yeah. So let's let's go back to those green check marks, though, because I, I think that a lot of people like people are so sort of terrified sometimes to even start working on the common app that they want to, like, gather all their information first. And, you know, yeah. they don't really know to look for the green check mark. So so what are those? Yeah. So, I mean, for each section of the common app specifically, you know, when they when they uh, have filled out each uh, basically page or each portion of the sections that are available, then if uh, it's a section that's got an asterisk next to it, then it means it's a required part of the application. And once all those required parts are complete, then you get a green check on the left-hand sign bar, and it indicates that you've completed that section entirely. And it really does, you know, catch, uh, from what I've seen over the years, catches everything that a student would absolutely need, meaning that the information in that education section, for instance, that's not required is whether uh, a student has a rank at the school, the number of students in the graduating class. So if for any reason the student doesn't get that information from guidance, either by mistake or just um, you know wasn't able to get that information before submitting, that's not a required piece of the application, so it's not all that crucial, so they could submit an application without that, and that's not something to worry about because the guidance office information is always going to be paramount. But Mm -hmm. uh, in order to move to the final step of submitting the application, you do need all the green check marks on the left-hand side before you get to the final stage of putting in the famous electronic signature. I've had students say, well, well, where do I sign now? (laughs) It's like, no, actually, you just sign it. <laughs> I mean, you just type your name in there. That's considered the signature, and, and that's always, you know, a little bit surreal. But once it's submitted, everybody feels better. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think that we also want to caution people to not be too paranoid and don't overthink it either. I mean, I've worked with students yeah. who, you know, like basically their essay's done and for three weeks they'll change like, a, you know, a couple words here, a couple words there and keep wanting to send it to me. And I just say, no, now it's time to submit. You're just, I yeah. call it churning because they're sort of stirring things around, but they're not getting anywhere. You know, the butter's there. You don't need to keep moving the butter around. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't agree more. And I think a big part of that is, you know, is, you know, kind of that life skill of when something's done well, you should feel it in your gut, and then you have to trust. You know, I did my best work on that, and I didn't, and I wasn't rushed. I mean, I think that's part of it is that so often students are used to getting an assignment two days before it's due or even if they got it a month before, they're still doing it the night before, you know, which we would never encourage for a college application. And so if they've been working on it for a while, it's surreal. You know, is this really done? You know, maybe I could, you know, perfect it. And and quite honestly, there are a lot of parents who will, you know, are encouraging them to do that, you know, and overthink it and therefore sometimes change their voice. And really, it's time to let it go. And one encouragement I give the students is the, the freedom of letting go your first application is that it frees up your mind to then focus on the next applications and to really set some goals for yourself so that it can be done by Thanksgiving. There's really no reason to not be done with all of your applications by Thanksgiving if, mm-hmm. you know, if you're you know, working on them in that time frame. So mm-hmm. highly encourage sending it and not churning. And if you're applying for an early action school with a November 1 deadline, try, you know, make it your goal to submit pretty soon, actually. So, mm-hmm. yeah, right, so definitely a week before the deadline, you know, is really best case scenario, if not two weeks, only because then, you know, come the deadline, you know, all your materials are in because a lot of guidance offices don't send the transcript until you've actually submitted. So that's what I've seen, at least, in the New York area. So it's, you know, you'll when you log in to check the status of your application, everything will have been there if you submitted a week or two before the deadline. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of comfort in that. Yeah, and I do. I, always, I also like to um, tell students, and if you try to submit a week early and something goes wrong, guess what? It's not a crisis. You can go see your counselor that's the next right. day. You know, it's yeah. it's not the deadline, so you have time to fix everything. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So, what are just a couple things? We're going to start to wrap it up now. But what are just a couple things that you don't actually need to wait for to submit? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I really encourage students. Number one, as soon as they've completed the standardized testing that's required for the schools, meaning they're not waiting for new scores to arrive or SAT or ACT or subject tests to send those. You know, if it's required by the college to have the official test scores, which we've seen, you know, some changes in that this year, but, that, you know, a good number of colleges are still requiring the official scores to go from the college board, then to send those as soon as yours are complete. And that way um, it still takes, even though it's, technically instantaneous that the information is sent, it still takes time, at least a week for colleges to process that information. So it's definitely nice to get that uh, off your list of things to do. 
teacher recommendations if the teacher is ready to send them out or the guidance counselor is willing to send transcripts before you submitted your application. All of that can go and wait, you know, for your application um, to arrive. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely encourage students to get that information out and know that a lot of high schools won't send a transcript until you've actually submitted and that's understandable given that they don't want to send transcripts all over the world and students don't actually pull the trigger on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for most colleges, it's that stuff really can come a, a little bit later as well. Um, so mm-hmm. you don't need to wait, pull the plug, submit. Yeah. Um, all right. I think that that is it. Thank you so much, Kara. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Best of luck to everybody who's submitting soon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go to a break, go on a break soon. But first, I really wanted to do a school spotlight. Um, I'll be highlighting Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts for this uh, school spotlight segment. I love recommending schools like Clark because not everyone has heard of them, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't stop them from quietly going about offering a top notch education to their students. So what is Clark all about? Um, this, By the way, this shouldn't be mistaken for Clark Atlanta, another fine institution, but that's for another day. Uh, this Clark is in Worcester, Mass. It's a bastion of undergraduate-focused and liberal arts education. The university's over 2,000 undergraduates all participate in a dynamic and transformative experience called LEAP, or Liberal Education and Effective Practice. Through a combination of academics, mentoring, workplace experiences, extracurricular activities, and research, Clark students graduate well-prepared to enter the global economy and make a difference in the lives of others. Popular majors at Clark include psychology, political science, biology, and business management. And one of the really coolest things that they offer is that the learning doesn't have to stop after the traditional four years. Qualified members of the senior class have the unbelievable opportunity to stay at Clark for a free fifth year to earn a master's degree. And this is, again, no payment for this master's degree. There are currently 14 combined bachelor's, master's programs available in disciplines as diverse as finance, history, physics, and teaching. Um, 25% of graduate students take advantage of this accelerated BA master's program every year, saving them thousands of dollars in graduate school costs. And also good to know if you feel that your SAT or ACT scores are not an accurate reflection of your true academic ability, you don't need to submit them to Clark. The admission office adopted a test optional policy back in 2013. So that is a great college for everyone to consider. All right, so we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, Jen Simmons and I will be discussing whether or not to disclose a learning disability or health issue on your admission application. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. In this segment, Jen Simmons and I will be discussing whether to disclose in your application. (laughs) All right. Welcome, Jen. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Sally? I'm great. Thank you. So, Jen, this is actually a pretty broad question. Like, I think most people, when considering this topic, um, think about whether students with ADD or learning disabilities might need or want to disclose on their application. I think a lot of people assume that it's always to their advantage to disclose. Other people think they should never disclose. Um, But I've also heard this question come up. Um, around a variety of issues, including depression, physical disabilities, chronic illnesses like diabetes, and more. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering if you feel that there is a blanket rule here, um, and you know, what do you think about whether students should disclose? Always, never. You know, let's kind of dig into this topic. Sure. The closest I can come to sort of saying that there is a blanket rule is that I'll even back up and say for. Any applicant with any background, just any applicant to college, the application should be free of what we call question marks, basically, not literally, of course, but there should be nothing about that application that doesn't tell a sort of clear, cohesive story about the student. If there's anything that might give a reader, an uh, admissions officer, pause, then that needs to be explained. Um, And generally, those things are a dip in grades, a sudden dramatic increase, you know, in grades, Um, you know, if a student was a C student and then all of a sudden is an A student or something, that's something that's curious 
And um, maybe the answer is just that you started working harder and that's fine. But still, um, that might need to be explained. If there's a, a series of absences from school, uh, that's actually something that is disclosed on the transcript. And sometimes it looks curious when a student has a lot of absences and they're not otherwise explained. And again, the answer might be a, an illness, but whatever the answer is, there shouldn't be anything that gives the reader pause. So it should be completely straightforward. And sometimes it can genuinely help a student um, when they disclose because it's explaining, for example, that, that you know, the, the uptick in grades is not going to hurt a student because they're getting better, but the blank question would. So by explaining that, okay, I was diagnosed with ADHD and now I'm, I'm medicated and I'm learning how to deal with it and that's why my grades have gone up. That's actually a really great thing. But even the contrary, um, you know, all of a sudden if a student's grades plummet, obviously you want them to go up again, but you, you do want to know why that happens. And so even if the explanation is, I became very depressed my, you know, junior year, my parents got a divorce. You know, you want to focus on the positive, but at the same time, you shouldn't leave, you know, a stone unturned. Now, you might have been depressed because your parents got divorced, but nothing in the application reflects Anything about this, your grades continued, your, you know, social activities, your extracurricular activities continued. No one would know this by looking at your application. It's not mentioned by any of the counselors or the teachers who, by the way, need to have your permission to mention anything um, personal like this. And so is it status quo, even though you might rightfully feel very proud of overcoming a very difficult time in your life or overcoming a debilitating disease or an illness, it doesn't need to be mentioned. And I should mention it now that sometimes it could hurt a a student to mention something if there's no need to mention it, depending on what that is, because there's no need to call attention to it. Mm Mm-hmm. So what, when you say it might hurt a student, like, yeah. can we be a little more specific about, yes, like, I, would, yes, I will. I, yeah. I will. I actually just wanted to pause to make sure that um, you, you didn't want to um, break in. But yeah, so um, what I mean by that is that most colleges and universities are not only looking for strong students, but they're looking for someone who's going to be uh a strong presence in the dorms, a good, you know, citizen of the community, someone that even if there are lots of support services for mental health, which every college and university should have, um, you know, they, they want to make sure that the students that come to their school are are, you know, emotionally ready for what is going to be a huge transition and, you know, sometimes actually a very difficult um, situation for the best of students in the best of times. Um, and so I think that when you're looking to make sure that a student is going to be a good roommate, for example, uh, you know, a collaborative and, you know, um, a person in extracurriculars, that type of thing, you want to make sure that even if they have suffered from you know, uh, mental illness, depression, something like that, that they have overcome it or learned coping strategies. So I say that it can hurt them if 
um, something is disclosed and it's not clear. Maybe the student has yet fully learned how to deal with this. Maybe um, they have the haven't explained that to the admissions officer. So that goes back to what I'm saying. There should be no uh, question marks, no sort of empty holes in the application. But the truth is, is that when you have schools that have acceptance rates that range everywhere from, you know, 6% to you know, 90%, but, but really those schools that are really parsing out applications and looking at them holistically, um, even though they're technically not discriminating, we hope, because it's illegal to do so um, against someone who has a disability or has an illness, um, they still are able to choose other students because that's simply what happens in competitive admissions. So you don't want to give an admissions office in a selective environment or any environment, a reason not to take you, a reason to have any doubt about your candidacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I worked with this one student who had diabetes, and this was, I've been doing this for 26 years now, so um, not with college coach, but at various schools, and this was at, like, my the high school I worked at, and he... Um, he had diabetes and he was one of the first people who had gotten sort of the pump that you can just sort of push a button. So it's very easy to keep his, it was very easy to keep his insulin regulated. And I actually, you know, he did actually decide to disclose, but the way he disclosed was by talking about how cool it was that science had made his life so good. Like he was on the track team. He was on the cross country team. He was studying computer science. He was this super happy kid. And I gave it a thumbs up because it, it was sort of relevant to how he thought about, um, how fortunate his life was. And I would completely, I want to like sort of say very clearly that I would completely understand if a student didn't feel fortunate who had diabetes but um, but because he felt so fortunate, I said, go ahead and disclose because he put it across like the way he talked about it ended up being great. And so I didn't I wasn't worried about um, how do I put it? I just wasn't worried about it being seen as a negative because I thought every college was going to look at him and be like, this kid's already been through some stuff and he thinks he's awesome. Like he feels great. Right. So that that was going to tell them like how well he would deal with any setback because almost anything was going to be minor compared to that. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things you learn from being on the other side is that, you know, kids think that they're the only one. Kids think that they're very unique and, and they might be in their immediate friendship you know, circle, but when you read hundreds of applications, when you're looking at the broad applicant pool or a state or a, you know, city or a country or countries, so many, you know, there's an expression, everybody has something, and I don't know that I agree with that, you know, because some people definitely have more of some things than other people, but it is in no way unique to have anything, you know, diabetes, depression, uh, you know, physical, emotional uh, disability, you know, because this is, is life. And so many students have such a difficult, you know, family situation that you might not even know about. So, you know, the key to this student was not only, you know, appreciating his, his 
I don't know if you'd call it a disability, but his, his uh, diagnosis is diabetes, um, as, as much as he was able to really manage it. And so what that tells me as an admissions officer is that I'm going to, you know, set him up with a roommate or a student life is going to set him up with a roommate. And that this is going to be sort of a really interesting thing about him. The roommate might or might not have a physical, you know, condition or diagnosis, but they will learn something from this person or it will be neutral. It won't be a negative. It won't be a negative. It won't affect their relationship living together. And, you know, hopefully it'll be positive. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason I like to tell that story too, is because one of the things I run into is people say, well, I've heard that it really helps to have a sob story. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like that is just really not true. Especially by the way, if you are trying to take something pretty standard, like a divorce, I speak as the daughter of divorced parents, um, let's face it, 50% of couples end in divorce. So that's not, you know, that's, again, that's exactly sort of what you were talking about. It's one more challenge that a lot of people face. So again, it, it doesn't mean that you can't write about it if there's some if there's some way in which it's relevant, but it definitely means that you shouldn't feel like you have to write about it or that you'll get some kind of an advantage by writing about it. And then the other thing that I always want to kind of emphasize is you have to show that, yeah, you've kind of come out the other side of that if you're going to highlight it. I've read some essays that were very, very painful to read about uh, situations of abuse, things like that, you know, um, that were very dark. And my impression was the student still in the middle of this. Like, I don't think, I think what I want this student to do is take a gap year where they spend all year doing therapy, you know, so. Absolutely. And if, and if you're not recovered from it, if you're still, if you, if you still have an eating disorder, you, you still, you might not want to take a gap year. You might want to go to college and that's fine. That's appropriate. That's for you personally and your doctor and your family to understand. But if you are in the throes of an eating disorder and it would not show up anywhere else in your application, you might want to think twice about mentioning it, just quite honestly. I mean, as a, as a college um, admissions advisor, I think that that's something I would um, discourage students from. Obviously, we would encourage them um, to work it out and to be healthy, but th- th- you don't have to share everything. Sometimes, actually, Sally, I think it's ironically the parents, not necessarily with eating disorders, of course, but with, uh, for example, disabilities for illnesses, um, you know, when a, a kids struggles with something. My daughter actually has a physical disability and I feel like it's my, in many ways as a parent, it's, it's more my life, my whole life revolves around this much more than hers does. And people have said that that's um, an accomplishment of mine as a parent, that she doesn't identify as a kid with cerebral palsy. That's not her identity, but my identity is of a mother with a daughter with cerebral palsy. And that's why, and I, I won't want her to write her, I mean, she's only six years old, so we've got a long way, even I'll admit that. But I don't want her college admissions applications to be about that unless they absolutely have to. I almost want it to be sort of a, oh, by the way, you know, like a, a guidance counselor mentions it. And I actually, I say a guidance counselor, a teacher, because sometimes you can let them do the job of sharing your story so that your application doesn't become about that. You can focus on the other amazing things you do and let them sort of do the dirty work of explaining anything that needs to be explained, if in fact it's dirty work. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to note. Um, I mean, with a college application, you have this very limited real estate to express 
kind of who you are. And, and uh, so even if you do want to write about it, there's the additional information section. If you if there's some things that you really feel like need to be explained, which, as, as you said, if there's a hole in the application or a discrepancy or a red flag, like feel free to use the additional information section and kind of, you know, explain I had all these absences because, you know, I had ongoing, et cetera, et cetera, health concern. Everything's fine now. But use your main essay to write about you, like, you know, the greatness that is you, like not like the kind of mm-hmm. darker side of the struggle that you're in, but like, you know, um, things that you've achieved, things that you think about, like just in other words, don't let yourself be defined um, in the college absolutely. application. Yeah. I think that the way I, I think about it, I know that um, young students don't date as much as I guess people in our generation or that they know what dates are, certainly, I hope, and from the movies. Or, you know, if they, I don't yeah. even know that they go to the movies anymore. But, um, so I think of it as you're going on a date. You're with an admissions officer. You know, they know about you from other people. This is your opportunity, and other people are your teachers and your counselor. This is your opportunity to make a first and only impression with them. And so is this story so important to you? Is this part of you so, so important to you that they absolutely must know it, or could you wait until you've made a little bit of a commitment before they know it? And so certainly we would advocate 100% um, finding help when you do enroll at a university if you need it, or, you know, finding a community and, you know, you know, using the resources that become available to you, but you're still in the courting process, and unless this is something that you want to reveal the very first time you meet someone, and sometimes it is, then I would say focus on something else. Mhm mhm. And I think that's a great place to end it. Um so thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Have a great day, Sally. Nice to talk with you. Nice to talk with you too. All right, so thanks so much to Jen and all my guests today. And now I want to tell you about our show next week, hosted by Beth Heaton, our regular host. She has a fascinating segment coming up on using mindfulness to manage the stress of the admission process which I think is a great idea. I wish I'd even known what mindfulness was when I was applying to college. Um, In addition, she'll be covering handling disciplinary infractions on an application and using life insurance as a college-saving vehicle with her guests. Um, Finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find shows with varied topics such as the Common and Coalition applications, Study Abroad and Completing the FAFSA or Free Application for Federal Student Aid, and the CSS Profile or College Scholarship Service Profile. So lots of really valuable information. And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time. And it's absolutely free. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.